Acts 12. But before we get started, we have one more fun thing that we get to do this morning. Continuing our study here through the book of Acts, Lord willing, time willing, we're going to try to do the chapter here today. Let's do the smart thing, quick prayer. Lord, um, when we say a quick prayer, it's not because we're trying to downplay you, but we realize it is all you. So we just pray your Holy Spirit would guide, lead, and teach. Give us ears to hear what you want to say through your spirit, and just pray you would make these words alive and active in all ways and all things. In your name, amen. Acts chapter 12, a wonderful story here this morning. Now, a lot of the times when we're going through some of these studies, we may have a study like this, a chapter where there's one continual theme that kind of builds up. You know, a couple weeks ago when we were finishing up Acts 11, we were talking about attributes of a Christian. And so we had all these different attributes that lined up to what a Christian is supposed to be doing. And Acts chapter 12, it's more like, if you will, a, a potluck of different ideas. They all connect together, but they're so individual. And I like these types of messages because there may be something where you just needed to hear that quick little point. Maybe you just needed to hear that quick little point. And we cover so many different areas of it. We cover so many different segments of it. It's a blessing to be able to have these different ideas. Now, the background to this is Peter is now in prison. He gets arrested this chapter, and we get to see what happens here. How does the church respond to this? How does Peter respond to this? So let's go ahead and jump right in and see. Acts 12, verse 1. It says, Now about that time Herod, the king, stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. So we're introduced to Herod. Now, this can get kind of confusing because there's numerous Herods mentioned in the Bible. A little bit of history right here. Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the ruler during the time of Jesus. He's the one that massacred all the young boys. His nephew is the one that killed John the Baptist. This Herod here in Acts 12 is Herod Agrippa I. This would be the grandson of Herod the Great. Here's the one that killed James. And then in a few chapters, Paul stands before Herod Agrippa II, the son of this one. So there's numerous Herods. And what you really just need to know is the Herod we're talking about now is the grandson of Herod the Great that lived during the time of Jesus. So here we are about 40 years after Christ was born about 10 years, or probably about 10 years after Jesus died on the cross, just to give you a little bit of background when it comes to that. Now, this Herod had some Jewish blood in him. So since he had some Jewish blood in him, he was kind of interested in some of the things with Judaism. And so what happens here is he's trying to always, politically speaking, and maybe even personally speaking, trying to make peace with the Jews. He found out that if he kind of harasses the church, makes the Jews really happy. Kill James. Jews, really happy. Hey, I'm on a roll here. Let's grab Peter now. So what happens is, is he arrests Peter. Now this leads to a couple questions. I think the first one that pops up is, James dies, Peter lives. Now why is that? James dies, Peter lives. I mean, wasn't James a good guy too? This is James, you know, the brother of John. We know him from the Gospels accounts. 
We know this was a good godly guy. I mean, what did James do wrong that he dies? What did Peter do right that Peter lives? I mean, the church prays for Peter to get out. Didn't the church pray for James to get out, I would assume? And these are these why questions that pop up in life all the time. And they pop up a lot. Why? Why did he get cancer, but yet he didn't? Why did she lose the job, but why didn't she? Why do things always seem to work out for them, but things never seem to work out for me? It's these why questions in life. Why did he get taken home to heaven at such a young age, but why does he get to live to his mid-upper 90s? Why? And those are tough questions to ask, tough questions to answer. And as a pastor, I get those questions a lot. And I'm going to be honest with you, sometimes those questions can't be answered. I remember years ago, there was a situation that popped up where there was a person struggling with cancer. And at that time in the church, we had numerous people that had cancer. And this person just one time came up to me and said, Why? Why isn't mine getting better? Theirs, theirs got better. Same church prayed for me that prayed for them. Why? Those are tough questions to try to answer. Here's the thing. In Revelation 11, there's these two guys called the two witnesses. And they have a very impactful ministry during the tribulation time. But the Bible says that when they fulfilled their time, fulfilled their testimony... It was time for them to go home. So when it was time for them to be done, they were martyred. Now, miraculously, a few days later, they rose again. It's a great story there in Revelation 11. But they fulfilled their testimony, and it was time for them to go home. Maybe the simple answer is James fulfilled his testimony. James fulfilled his job. Since he fulfilled his job, guess what? He gets to go home. We look at death and martyrdom as these ultimate defeats where really they're the ultimate form of victory. James got to go home. We got this thing that we do at home. And let's say we're outside. And let's say the outside is a mess. The boys have been playing outside. My rule is you have to pick up an item forever old you are. So Elias, you're nine. You pick up nine items. Judas picks up seven items. Goes down the road, Ken and five, laden four. So everybody pick up an item for how old you are. And let's get that backyard picked up. Well, Layden, who's four, guess what? He picks up his items fairly quickly. So as soon as Layden picks up his items, guess what? Layden, you're done. Go inside. Kenan, choose the next. Kenan, you're done. Go inside. When they fulfill their jobs, they're allowed to be done. James's job, obviously, was done. He fulfilled his testimony. James, you get to go home. See, we look at this and it's like, oh my goodness, James was martyred. No, James completed his day at work and it's time to go home now. Enjoy the rewards of heaven. Do you remember the conversation that James and John had with Jesus? They came to Jesus and said, hey, can you grant us a request? Jesus says, what is it? We want to sit beside you in glory for all of eternity. And Jesus said, do you know what you're asking? He goes, what you're asking is, and I'm paraphrasing here, is that you have to be willing to suffer like I suffer. You have to be willing to be persecuted like I persecuted. And he asked them, can you do it? And they said, yes. Guess what happened 10 years later? James proved it. He fulfilled his job. He fulfilled his testimony. He got to get off work early, go home. Peter, he's still got some work to do, Peter. Maybe it is that simple. Daniel says this, Daniel 5 verse 23, that God holds my very breath in his hands and that he owns all my ways. So when I die, I think the assumption is, I hope I fulfilled my testimony. I fulfilled my time of service. I get to go home for the day. And I'll be meeting you and waiting for you up in heaven. James dies. Peter lives. We know from the book of Acts, Peter has a lot more things he needs to do yet. James's job was done. What a blessing that is. Now look here at the prison. 
He is delivered to him by four squads of soldiers. We can look at this, about 16 soldiers. The idea is this, that you have one chain to each hand, and then you also have two guarding the door. So you've got four soldiers at all times. They would take shifts guarding Peter at all times. That's the situation. What happens? Verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out all that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and light shone in prison. He struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And they were past the first and the second guard post. They came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. There's a few interesting points in here that we need to share. The first one you see in verse 5, Peter is kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Constant prayer. That word, some of your translations may say earnest prayer, may say fervent prayer. Constant, earnest, fervent prayer. Simple question. Ask yourself, how would you describe your prayer life? Would you describe your prayer life as constant, earnest, and fervent? That's what the early church was. A constant, earnest, fervent prayer. That's pretty impressive. My prayer life sometimes is what I call prayer bursts. A situation pops up, and it's really heavy on the heart, and so I just pray and pray and pray, and then life kind of goes on, and you kind of, I don't want to say you forget about it, but you kind of move on. Or sporadic prayer. Oh, I really need to get back into prayer, so I'm going to get up early, and I'm going to spend this time in prayer. And next thing you know, you kind of lose that. What happens to this constant, earnest fervent prayer. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we as a church, as individuals were that way? Now be careful that your constant, earnest, fervent prayer does not turn into legalistic prayer. I get up every day at 6 a.m. and I pray for an hour and a half. I'm done at 7.30 and I go on with my day. No. Pray without ceasing. When somebody gives me a prayer request, I stop at that moment. Whatever I'm doing, I may not pray out loud, but I will pray mentally in my head at that moment. I'll try to write it down in my book that I carry with me to remind myself to pray throughout the day. Praying through the directory. We've talked about that before. Rich and I try to get together and pray through lists. Prayer. Constant, earnest, fervent prayer. Your walk with the Lord will change if that is your goal. It truly will. If you're sporadic, you'll have sporadic moments of closeness with the Lord, but not a constant. You know, it's spring now. And everything is coming into bloom. It's looking green and beautiful. But it also means the weeds are coming into bloom as well. So I have these moments at home where I, I pull into my driveway. And I see my yard. And I, and I see the landscaping. And I have these bursts of sporadicness of, I'm going to make sure the yard looks good. I get out and I will take every thistle out of the flower beds. I will get the weed whacker out. I'll weed whack everything. You mow. And it looks good. It's a lot of work. Constant work, fervent work, earnest work, but it looks nice. And then you have moments where you stop and you say, you know what, those thistles really produce really purple, beautiful purple blooms. And I kind of like purple. You know, those dandelions, that yellow on the green background really kind of looks nice. And your constant, fervent work becomes sporadic. 
And then you know what happens? It's hard to become constant and fervent when you were sporadic because you're already behind. I encourage you with this. Be a man or woman of constant, fervent, earnest prayer. I encourage you to do that. Jesus in Luke 18 verse 1 simply said, you're supposed to pray and do not lose heart. Commentator said this when I was preparing the message. Peter was bound by chains but loosed by prayer. Boy, I like that. Bound by chains but loosed by prayer. What has bound you today that can only be loosed by prayer? It needs to be loosed by prayer. Constant, earnest, fervent prayer. I encourage you, if you have kids at home, become a family of prayer requests. Become a family of set prayer time. I encourage you, if if you have a situation going on, this is something I've been doing lately, is that there's something big going on. I get my group, my circle, my sphere that's dealing with it, and I say, every day we're going to pray at this time for this situation. We're going to be constant. We're going to be earnest. We're going to be fervent in this. Because the Lord moves through prayer. The longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize more is accomplished through prayer than anything I can ever imagine. I could sit down and have a three-hour conversation with somebody, but I'll get more accomplished just by praying probably through it. Prayer, constant, earnest, fervent prayer. Next point you see, Peter, verse 6, he's sleeping. Sleeping. The day probably before he's going to die, verse 6, when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping. Now, maybe Herod was going to bring him out to throw him a party. I don't know. Herod's pattern here seems he's going to bring him out to kill him. He's sleeping. Have you ever had something really big going on the next day and you couldn't sleep? People tell me this all the time. They have a major surgery coming up or something. I can't sleep. I keep thinking about that. You know, I've never had to go through any major surgeries or anything like that. But our last two kids were a planned uh, induction. And so you go to bed thinking, oh, wow. Eight hours from now, somebody in my family is going to be screaming in pain. And it's, and it's not going to be me. And it's one of those thinking, planning, you can't sleep. How is Peter able to sleep knowing potentially his death may be imminent? Now, Peter has a sleeping problem. If you remember this from the Gospels. They're on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus is in his glory. Moses appears. Elijah appears. Guess what Peter's doing? Sleeping. They're in the garden hours before Jesus is supposed to be crucified. Jesus says, hey guys, can you pray with me? They say, sure. What does Peter do? Sleeping. So maybe Peter is sleeping in verse 6 because he's just that kid. You know, my third kid, you'll be talking to him five minutes later. It's like he's asleep at one o'clock in the afternoon. He just falls asleep type of thing. I think, my personal opinion, transfiguration, garden, I think that was the fleshly Peter. That was the sleep of boredom. That was the sleep of being tired. That was the sleep of laziness. He didn't see the spiritual implications of what was going on. Jesus calls you up on the mountain. You're one of the slut group. I'd stay awake to see what he has to say. God himself says, hey, will you pray with me? I would stay awake to see what he has to say. I think Peter at that time was the fleshly Peter. I think this Peter, my personal opinion, verse 6, this is the spiritual Peter. This is the sleep of peace. This is the sleep of I trust the Lord and I will sleep. That's my opinion. Let's build on this a little bit. Can you go to Psalm 91? I thought the songs today for worship fit in so wonderfully with this message and what we were talking about, because so many songs there dealt with fear and trusting the Lord. Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is a wonderful psalm when it comes to dealing with any fear, worry, or anxiety that you may have. 
And it's a wonderful psalm. I encourage you to read all of it. But for us this morning, we're only going to pick out a few verses here. Psalm 91, verse 5. You should not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lies waste at noonday. Fear. The terror by night. Don't be afraid at night. Isn't it amazing how it's human nature? That's when we get scared. The classic example, you hear a noise at 2 o'clock in the morning versus when you hear a noise at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I'll go down to the basement, I'll go outside. What is that? 2 o'clock in the morning, I send one of the kids. You know, it's, <laughs> it's different. It's night. But what about the day? Nor of the arrow that flies by day. You're sitting there just in the middle of the day, enjoying day, and these thoughts of fear, worry, anxiety come upon you. What about verse 6? The pestilence that walks in darkness. Fear of health and sickness. What about those results? What about this? What if I get this? That fear of pestilence. I know for me, if anybody ever talks about some type of stomach bug going around, I start freaking out. If it gets in our family, we're going to go through this in two weeks. we got seven of us. That fear of pestilence or destruction that weighs nace at noonday. Well, what happens if this happens if they get into an accident or if this storm or... There's fear all over the place. There's fear at night. There's fear at day. There's fear of sickness. There's fear of destruction. Fear everywhere. What do you do? Verse 7. A thousand may fall at your side. Ten thousand at your right hand. But it should not come near you. Peter was guarded by, what, 16 guys? And he miraculously escapes. I don't care if it was 16,000 guys. The Lord was going to get him out of there. Verse 8, Oh, only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. I had a pastor one time refer to Psalm 91 as the 911 of Psalms. If you this week, and I shouldn't say if, because it's not an if, when you this week are overcome by fear, worry, or anxiety, Go read Psalm 91. Because you will realize the Lord says, be afraid of nothing. Not at night, not at day, not of sickness, not of health, not of destruction, not of anything. He goes, trust me. Psalm 91. Why can Peter sleep with his death being imminent? Because he trusted the Lord. Now what else happens here in our story? Next one. So we have the angel show up, verse 7. And it says, light shone in the prison and he struck Peter on the side. Good old King James was out there. He smote Peter. Now, that's an interesting word. That word struck is used throughout the Bible, and it's used in three different ways. There's three definitions of this word struck. One, it means to tap lightly. Two, it means to hit medium. Three, it means to smack. So basically, when it says he struck Peter, we don't know how he struck Peter. Was it tapping on the shoulder? Hey, Peter, time to get up. Was it, come on, Peter, get up. Or is it a smack? Peter, come on, buddy, let's go. I don't know why, but I think it's number three. I think he smacked Peter. I don't know why that is. Some of you, the Lord has to smack you to get your attention. Now, and I, when I say that, I mean that in the most loving way possible. Some of you respond to the gentle tap of the Holy Spirit, and you listen. Some of you, the Lord needs to get a little more serious. Some of you, you need smacked up on side the head before you hear anything. It's all done in love. Now, for me personally, it's easiest to be gently tapped. 
we leave, you know, for the 8.30 service, every week I can take two boys with me to the 8.30 service because that's how I can fit in my car. So every week we go through this pattern of who gets to go. So I wake them up. I can wake them up one of three ways. Lies, buddy, come on, time to wake up. Come on, Lies, wake up. Or I could dump water on them. You know what I mean? You could shake them. They'll all wake up. Which way do you want the Lord to get your attention? Tap or smack? Tapping is a lot easier. I don't know how he got Peter's attention, but he got it. The interesting thing about getting our attention is sometimes he does have to smack us. Pride keeps us from listening. Arrogance keeps us from listening. Sin keeps us from listening. Have you not ever heard a message and you knew somebody was struggling with something and as they're hearing their message, you're thinking they had to hear what he was saying. They had to. And they walk away and it's like nothing impacted them at all. Sometimes the Lord has to tap pretty hard. Rich Betts tells this great story. Rich, are you in here? I hope you don't mind me uh, sharing this story. Is that okay if I share it? Thank you. Uh, great. It's a great story. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you. That's the fun of it. It's the story you said don't tell anybody until you die. That was that one. Do you remember that one? That's that one. Rich tells this great story about playing baseball. It was a baseball story, so I think it's okay. Rich was the first baseman. And what happened was he was playing in his younger years, and what would happen, there would be a grounder that goes to second, third, etc. They throw over to first, get the guy out. What would happen is the catcher would run over behind first base to cover first base. In case there was a bad throw, catcher's there, grabs the ball, keeps the guy from going to second. Well, the way the story goes that Richard was saying is once Richard caught the ball at first base, got the guy out, he's supposed to flip the ball to the catcher, and then they kind of throw it around the horn type thing. Everybody gets involved, keeps your arms fresh, keeps everybody paying attention. Well, grounder, throw to first, get the guy out. Richard doesn't give the ball to the catcher. Catcher says, hey, don't forget, you're supposed to flip me the ball, let me throw it around. Gotcha. Okay, another play happens. Grounder, throw to first, gets the guy out. Catcher runs over to cover first. Standing there, Richard throws the ball around again. Catcher says, I'm not running down here for no reason. Remember to throw it to me. Happens a third time. Richard throws the ball around, and Richard then says that he feels this big smack on the back of his head turns around, the catcher took off his mask and smacked Richard on the back of his head. Richard never forgot to give the ball to the catcher again. Is that a correct story? That's a correct story. Smack on the head reminds you sometimes what you're supposed to do. Spiritually speaking, if you sometimes feel like the Lord is giving you a smack on the head on a regular basis, maybe it's time to stop and say, I wonder why. He's trying to tell you something. Peter is struck He gets up. He listens. I think this is important. Verse 8. Angel says, Gird yourself and tie in your sandals. And and look, so he did. Verse 9. So he went out and followed. Peter was following. He was being obedient. Remember that. Obedience there. So what happens next? Well, verse 12. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. One translation says you're crazy. Yet she kept insisting that it was so, so they said it is angel. Now real quick on it is his angel. There was a Jewish belief back at this time that you all had a guardian angel and that your guardian angel kind of looked like you. Verse 16, now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Now, this is fascinating. 
I hear people say all the time that they wish they could go back and live. Book of Acts, early church. Those were a people of prayer and of power. They weren't like the church today. I got to be honest, this is just like the church today. Let's pray. Let's pray. God answers. And we don't believe that he answered. We don't believe it. I mean, I, I've said this. I've heard other people say this. Somebody has a serious medical issue. They're, they're waiting for test results. And, they, and it sounds so serious. It sounds like there's no answer at all. So we pray that everything turns out okay. So they get the results back. And it's great. Everything came back good. Our first response is, they should probably retest that just to make sure. Wow. Didn't we pray for everything to be okay? Yeah, we did. But let's retest it just to make sure. Where's our faith at sometimes? We've lost that. I've shared with you before that if I'm not feeling good or Dawn's not feeling good, I always want the boys to pray over me because they have childlike faith. They pray for that headache to go away. They pray for you to feel better. And as soon as they get done praying, they just assume and expect that you will feel better immediately because that's the way the Lord works. You pray, He answers, we go on. So when they get done praying, they say, Dad, is your headache gone yet? No, not yet. They're like, what went wrong? Childlike faith. So what happens, me and my infinite wisdom, well, sometimes the Lord does this. He works through the Advil. You know what I mean? That's my wisdom. Childlike faith is, Lord, please touch. Please heal. The church is, I mean, this is almost ridiculously humorous. Lord, free Peter. Rhoda comes in, guys, Peter's at the door. No, he, he can't be at the door. Let's go back to praying that Peter could be freed. I mean, look at that. That's exactly what happens. So when they find out it's him, wow. Verse 17, but motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Now this James, we presume is James, the half brother of Jesus. And we'll get more into him here in a little bit, but I think it's important to note at this time, if this is James, the half-brother of Jesus, this is the James that the Gospels seem to hint used to mock Jesus. You know, never really believed who he was. That encourages me. Because some of you, when you got saved, you had friends, family, relatives that didn't jump up and down. They may have mocked you. They made fun of you. Give it a decade. See what happens. Took James a while to figure this out. Took James, no, we know he got saved fairly early on because we think he's mentioned, we think it's the same James in the beginning of the book of Acts. But ten years later, he is now part of leadership in the early church. That family member that when you first got saved may have not accepted you or blocked you, give it ten years and they may be leading a church. That's what the Lord does. See, we've lost that patience aspect. We want people saved immediately. Well, well of course we do. But it's also, the Bible says, seed planting, allowing the Lord to move and work and time and their hearts to be ready. For James, a decade later, he's helping lead the church. And we even know in a few more chapters, he is like the man at church. How cool is that to see if the Lord's moving and working? Have faith. Trust the Lord is moving behind the scenes even when you don't see it. Don't judge based on the outside appearance. Trust the Lord is working on those hearts and moving even when we don't see it. Now, a lot of the times... The Bible kind of ends right there. Kind of ends the story. It's nice. We kind of move on. But we get a little bit more information here. Verse 18. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had come to Peter. Well, of course there wasn't. These guys were chained to Peter. They get up. The prisoner is gone. The gates are open. 
Verse 19, but when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. This guy, Herod, is a bit of a jerk. James is killed. These guards are killed. He wanted to kill Peter. See, a lot of times the Bible is kind of silent. We don't hear what happened to him. Now, we know what happens to Herod. We'll get to that in a little bit. But we've got to be careful at this point. Because it's really easy for us in our flesh to start getting worked up. We look at the Herod here, and we want judgment on Herods of this world. And to be honest, if something would happen to Herod, maybe we'd even have a little bit of, dare we say, joy over that? We've got to remember the nature of the Lord. Book of Ezekiel, God has no desire in the death of the wicked. No joy in the death of the wicked. Peter, he desires that all men be saved. Timothy, Jesus died so all men could be saved. Sometimes I have to watch myself when I see the wicked get their due. I've got to be careful about that. My flesh can sometimes get a little happy about that. The Lord said to Peter as well too, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Sometimes I want to be judge, jury, and executioner, when really it's grace. So my prayer is this. Anytime there's a difficult person, a difficult situation, I think the best prayer for me is, Lord, save them or get them out of the way. Lord, bring them into a relationship with you. But if that's not something that's going to happen, then, Lord, please remove that obstacle. Proverbs 16, verse 4 says this. Proverbs 16, verse 4. The Lord has made all for himself, yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. God knows who's wicked. He, he knows what's going to happen. He knows. See, I think sometimes that people get away with stuff. Lord, did you not see that? Yeah, he saw that. The wicked will get their due in time. But until that time happens, we actually want salvation. What's going to happen to Herod? Killed James, wanted to kill Peter, killed these soldiers. Verse 20. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. But they came to him with one accord, having made Blastus, the king's personal aide, their friends. They asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. Very simply put, Tyre and Sidon wanted food. Herod's kingdom had the food. Hey, let's be nice to Herod. Herod will give us food. Verse 21. So on a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne, and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. What a fascinating story. The wicked got their due. Now this is interesting because... Oh, yeah, Herod got their due. The wicked. Isn't it interesting, though? Jump back to Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar was a pretty wicked guy. Killing people. Nebuchadnezzar got saved. So Nebuchadnezzar is in heaven. See, the Lord knew that Herod would not accept, so Herod needed to be judged. Pharaoh was given opportunities to accept. Pharaoh rejected and was judged. Herod, obviously, was given opportunities to accept, rejected, and was, was killed. Nebuchadnezzar was given opportunities to accept, and he accepted. God offers salvation to all. Herod gets eaten by worms and dies, verse 23. Now, when I was younger and always read this, I always envisioned this 20-foot worm coming out of nowhere and just kind of like eating Herod up. It's not as exciting as that. Um, Josephus, who was an historian, a contemporary of this time frame, some, he says what actually happened was that Herod was eaten by worms like intestinally. And about five days later, he died. That's what happened here. This idea of he was eaten by worms, and he did die. 
And what they found out, it was this intestinal type thing. Josephus also says this, that when he was wearing his royal apparel in verse 21, that Herod specifically wore this outfit made out of silver. So when he would stand in the sun, it would shine all around. Now, what can we learn from this? The, The wicked will be judged. There's no doubt about that. The wicked will be judged. Which leads to point two. Unless you know Jesus Christ, we're all wicked. We're all wicked. And so it's only through Christ that we have any type of hope at all. And that's the salvation that Jesus gives because we're all these awful sinners that are not deserving of heaven in any way whatsoever. In God's grace and mercy, He gives us salvation. What else we can learn? God doesn't like to share His glory. He doesn't. Now be careful with this point. I don't want you to walk in fear of verse 23. The next time you do something out here at church and I come up to you and say, Hey, good job today. I don't want you to think, boy, if I don't give God the glory, i got five days until worms eat me. That's, that's not what it's saying. What it's saying, though, is you've got to be careful because it's not us. One of the phrases we always use out here is, everybody is replaceable. Everybody. Too often you run into these Christians that think the Lord blessed this because nobody can teach like I can teach. Nobody can lead a ministry like I can lead a ministry. Nobody can lead worship like I can lead worship. Nobody prays like I can pray. Yeah, they can because the same Holy Spirit leading you is the same Holy Spirit leading them. So we've got to be careful. It's not about us. It's about the Lord. The Lord can use anybody at any time. And what do you see happening in verse 24? The Word of God grew and multiplied. James is being killed. Peter's being This is a tough time for the church, but yet the Word of God grew and multiplied. Now, there's a couple things here I want to say at the end. This is kind of a potluck, if you will, of messages. You know, we talked about Peter living and James dying. James fulfilled his work, got to go home. We talked about having constant, earnest, fervent prayer. Peter sleeping, a sleep of peace. Peter needing smacked up, though, a little bit, possibly. The Lord does that. Peter bound by chains, but loosed by prayer. We see James, the half-brother of Jesus, at a place of position of leadership, Trusting that the Lord speaks to our unsaved friends and loved ones. And we also see the wicked, though, being judged. I don't know what point that hits you. Maybe it was the Psalm 91 of fear, worry, anxiety. Maybe it was the constant prayer. I don't know. But there was something I trust that the Lord said, that's for you today. To remind yourself with and to take home with you this week. I tell you, what for me was constant, earnest, fervent prayer. Boy, that's what I want to do. Which leads me to two things here as I, as I close. Is If anybody has anything they want to pray about, we'll be in the back. We'll be in the back there and you can come grab us if you want to pray. Marv's going to lead you out here with a song. And if I'm praying with somebody, he'll, uh, he'll pray with you and let you go. So if I don't get a chance to shake your hand, good to see you today. I'm glad you guys.